Today in our catechism lesson, we are thinking about the kingdom of Jesus. And as I mentioned in our previous service, the Old Covenant is filled with types and shadows, with figures. And one of those figures of Christ's heavenly kingdom is that kingdom of David, that Davidic kingdom. A covenant is made with David in this text that we're about to hear, 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 17. And then this becomes that type and shadow of the eternal kingdom that is overseen and governed by the son of David, par excellence, Jesus the Christ. 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 17. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your house, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all these, this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now our second reading comes from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now our third and final scripture reading 
from 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verses 21 through 28, where we find the end of the kingdom, the goal of the kingdom to be handed over to the Father. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please now join with me on page 10 in your bulletins as we read responsibly our catechism lesson for the day. We arrive to the 48th Lord's Day of the year. Question 123. What does the second petition mean? Your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until your kingdom fully comes, when you will be all in all. May God add his blessing now to the preaching and teaching of his word. As we begin, I want to clarify for us something that might be obvious, but I think it's important to distinguish, that when we talk about the kingdom of heaven and the mediatorial kingdom of Jesus, we need to distinguish that from God's general kingship over all creation. God can certainly be called the king of creation. He is sovereign. He is the Lord. He reigns over heaven and over earth. And in the eternal state, he will reign over hell. But hell is not the kingdom of heaven, right? That should be obvious for us. When Jesus came... Indeed, when John the Baptist came, they declared an arrival of something that was not yet fully in existence. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. It has arrived. It has arrived in the person of Jesus. It was not there beforehand. Not in its realized state, at least. We also would point out that in places like Colossians chapter 1, there is a distinction to be made between the domain of darkness to which we formerly belonged by nature and the kingdom of God's beloved Son into which we are transferred by His work of sovereign grace. My point being here 
Sometimes in Scripture, we read words about God's kingship and kingdom that should be applied generally to his reign generally over the cosmos. But then, there is that pearl of great price. There is that treasure discovered in the field. There is that thing that enters into this fallen creation, which we would call the kingdom of heaven, the new creation kingdom, over which Christ reigns in grace. And that is to be distinguished. As we think about that petition, thy kingdom come, we're thinking about the special kingdom of Jesus, the mediatorial kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, because you cannot pray for God's creational kingdom to come. It simply is. It goes nowhere, it advances nowhere, because it's simply God's sovereignty, and God cannot be more sovereign than he already is. Here we're focusing, as the Catechism shows us, upon that special rule of God by word and spirits, a rule that focuses in on the church, preserve and increase your church. It is a reign of a special kingdom where the, the enemies are defeated, the reign of the devil and his many works, and then one day that kingdom fully will come at his return, Christ's return from heaven. So we want to clarify these two distinct ways of speaking about God's kingdom. We are now, as we think about the Lord's Prayer, we're praying about Christ's heavenly kingdom, a.k.a. the new creation. Our first point, thy kingdom, not my kingdom. This is very important for us to recognize as we consider the Lord's Prayer and its structure. The first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer focus on the glory of God in Christ. Not our glory. Not things that we might want. Not things even that we might need. The Lord's Prayer is so helpful for us as a rubric because it is God-centered from the very beginning. The address, we address God as the Heavenly Father. So we're lifting our eyes to Him. And then we're praying for things that bless Him, that benefit Him, that extol Him. Here, our, we, we pray for His kingdom in Christ, not our kingdom. Now it can be very easy for us to think about praying for our own kingdom, after all, we follow in Satan's footsteps by our fallen nature. What did Satan do in the, king, in the uh, creation? He tried to take the kingdom of God for himself. He wanted the dominion over creation. He wanted dominion over man and woman. He wanted to be God. So he sought that heavenly throne. And then what do we do as those who are fallen in Adam, who submitted to the devil... Well, we then begin to seek after our own glory. We want to exalt ourselves. We want to be worshipped. We want to be praised. We want to be looked at by those around us as a success. As someone amazing. We want to be extolled. We want our own kingdom. We see this so much in the world around us, of course. It's obvious there. But we also see this if we look at our own hearts. So many of our aspirations and dreams for ourselves, they really boil down to us putting ourselves at the center of the universe 
and praying, my kingdom come. But if we begin our prayers saying, thy kingdom come, we begin to place ourselves within the narrative of God's redemptive story, and then my kingdom doesn't really make much sense any longer. Because I'm praying for a different kingdom, I'm bowing the knee to a different king. His reign of grace. And so my priorities then change. After all, if we seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, well then a new impulse compels us forward. Our first points, we pray, thy kingdom, speaking of the special redemptive kingdom, not my kingdom. Second, we pray for its advance. We pray for its advance. This has a few different facets to it. On one hand, we want to think about the advance of its citizenship. Currently, there are many on earth, as we know, who are still under the headship of the first Adam. Being under that fallen headship, they are corrupt by nature, and they follow after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. They are not citizens of the heavenly kingdom. They follow after a different ruler. They are at war with our king. And so as we pray, thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come, but thine, O Christ, we are praying on one hand that those who are under the domain of darkness now might be transferred into the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son. We're praying for the spread of the gospel. We're praying for the conversion of sinners and of households, that they might come into the kingdom of Jesus. So again, this advance happens now. It happens in this time. The growth occurs as sinners are added to the kingdom of Jesus. Now I should also note that when we think about the growth, the advance of the kingdom, we're not talking about the angelic or demonic realms. They are confirmed in their eternal states. There are the elect angels who are righteous and will be righteous forever. And they, you could say, belong to Christ's heavenly kingdom, not by way of redemption, but by way of nature. We look at the fallen angels, a.k.a. demons, and they are not given the gift of the gospel they're not subject to re repentance and redemption. So we want to make sure we're clarifying here that this advance of the kingdom on this earth pertains to the souls of those fallen in the first Adam. We also pray, however, for its advance within our own lives. The advance of the kingdom in our own personal lives. After all, we have already confessed within our catechism in accordance with Romans chapter 7 that we are not yet fully in submission, in perfect submission to our king. So as we think about the advance of the kingdom and the advance of the reign of Jesus by his word and by his spirit, we are also praying for our own selves to become more submissive to the grain of that kingdom to be in line with that kingdom, to come in line with his marching orders, to conform our lives to his grace 
and to walk after his holy, blessed law. As we think about this growth in allegiance and the advance of the kingdom, we see this very much in the first part of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. May we more and more revere the name of God in our lives and honor his name in our lives, right? Thy kingdom come. May we more and more submit to you being ruled by the word and spirits, seeing the devil's works in our lives destroyed. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next week's petition. That name being manifest in our lives, the kingdom being advanced in our own personal lives, we pray our second point for its advance on this earth. Again, we should pause here. So often we are praying for the advance of our own personal kingdoms. A promotion at work. That could be a good thing, but if you've made that the centerpiece, you got things out of whack, right? Uh, success within your job, success within your studies, a family that looks great to the surrounding world, We can so easily take these good things and make them about being my kingdom, my success, my achievements. We say, my kingdom come. Whereas we need to conform our lives, our hearts, our prayers to that of Jesus Christ. That his kingdom advances, not our own particular successes and achievements. Those are subordinated to the cause of of Jesus. Third, we pray for his kingdom's completion. Recall that reading from 1 Corinthians 15. That reign of Jesus, who is that promised son of David, he is that fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the one greater than Solomon, who did not reign forever, who did not bring rest forever to his people. Jesus has come to fulfill that covenant. Yes, not just about the mediator, because then at the return of Jesus, as he consummates everything, he takes his perfected kingdom and delivers it up to his Father, that God might be all in all. That is the goal of all things, right? the glory of God in Christ. And so that is also what we are then praying here when we pray for the success and the advance of Christ's kingdom. Not merely its advance on earth, but its completion in the new creation. When all bodies are raised from the grave, when the elect are then joined with their souls with Christ in heaven, as Christ then comes into his creation with all of his angels and all of his resurrected elect in his wake to come into creation to cleanse it of all sin and rebellion and then to glorify it as the new heavens and the new earth. Presenting its complete version then to his Father. Beloved, as we pray for these things, we are praying for our inheritance. And remember, the ultimate thing we inherit is not so much a thing, 
But our ultimate inheritance is our God. I will be your God and you will be my people. And so as we offer up this petition, we are being instructed in our lives in how to pray. To offer to God God-centered prayers for His name, His kingdom, and obedience to His will. That might more and more characterize the surrounding world and our own lives until the day that Christ returns and brings that to complete fruition for our blessedness as we enjoy our God, His beauty, and His glory forevermore. That's a lot more compelling than praying for my kingdom. I hope you can agree with that. Your kingdom is quote-unquote glorious as it can possibly be, will ultimately come to an end when you are buried in the grave. It will come to an end. And because of our sin, our kingdom, and because of the realities of the world, will never be as great as we want it to be. We will always meet with dissatisfaction. We will always fall short of our quests. Everything we can dream up for ourselves will be brought to frustration because it's never been about our kingdom, but rather how we play that part in Christ's kingdom that cannot fail, that will not fail, and will actually be more glorious than you can possibly imagine. That's a way more compelling story, and it's a true story in which we get to play a part. So brothers and sisters, as we learn to pray from our Savior, may we learn to pray thy kingdom, pray for its advance, pray for its completion. For in that story, we find identity, purpose, hope, and blessedness. Amen.